Hi everyone, I'm Antoinette. Welcome to the Happen Films podcast. In this episode, we talk to Brett and Nikki from Limestone Permaculture Farm in New South Wales, Australia. Jordan and I made our first film together at their place back in 2015, and last year Jordan was able to return to shoot a follow-up film that we recently released on YouTube. Brett and Nikki started their permaculture journey over a decade ago. They lived on a small urban section in the city of Newcastle, where they began growing their own food. In time, their passion for permaculture and homesteading saw them sell up and buy the one-acre property that's now Limestone Permaculture Farm. They recently achieved their dream of working full-time at home, practicing and teaching everything they've learned over the years. We wanted to chat with them again to hear about how they're keeping their one-acre property thriving through drought and being in proximity to massive bushfires, and what keeps them so inspired to dedicate their lives to living off the land. We also asked them a handful of viewer questions from your comments on YouTube and Instagram. Since we recorded this interview, Jordan's flown to Australia to help care for an unwell family member. He may be gone for a few months, so things will look a little different on the podcast for a while. It's 2020, you just have to ride it and hope for the best. Forgive us a few dodgy connection issues in this episode where the audio dropped out momentarily. Nonetheless, we hope you'll enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Brett, Nikki, it's so nice to see you guys again and thank you for sitting down to have a chat with us about uh, where things are at with you both since um, since we shot the last film with you. It's been, it's been six months. Mm-hmm. How's life on the farm since the pandemic has become part of our realities um and yeah how's it been for your family and life there for you guys hey guys well thanks for having us back um here on limestone farm uh the changes haven't been too dramatic as far as the lockdown period go um i mean the farm's still running we're still um getting through our day-to-day things as we normally do in the homesteading um we're having uh a pretty good time being together as a family. Um, We realise that there's some massive impacts and we really feel for those that are being impacted by that. Um, But for us, uh, you know, we've been building towards resilience, uh, resilience on the farm, resilience to um, live a comfortable life. Yeah, if those things slow up or if those things close down to us, those avenues uh, shut down, which they have, um, we've still got that ability to uh, function and, and, and pretty much self-sufficient yeah, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Li- live a normal yeah. life, live yeah. a comfortable life. And I think that's part of that resilience scene because when you think about um, these events that are happening right now, um, the the idea of resilience is not just about, you know, whether your farm's going to survive a drought or if it's going to survive a, a fire, but it's also as a family, um, are you still having a comfortable life? Are you still uh, living, you know, um, a life that, that you're happy about? And so for and us... Keep healthy as well at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, look, all in all, I, I think that at the moment, um, this period for us, um, apart from it being... Um, an awakening for our countries and our and the world, you know. Essentially, it's it's something that um, we have been sort of, I wouldn't say preparing for. You can never prepare. I had no idea this was going to happen, but you're you're still you're still preparing to be resilient, yeah. right? So um, f- for us, I think it, it's just that we were sort of ready. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, that that notion that historical notion of prepping you know and it's got quite a bad it's got a bit of a bad name for itself um which is really different to being prepared in the way and for resilience in the way that you guys are and i I think it's that that's a really interesting thing to talk about like the difference between prepping which is often you know lots of cans in the pantry and um guns (laughs) in some hidden spot somewhere and you know a bunker a lot of people talk about all these billionaires um setting up bunkers in the south of new zealand and um you kind of have this picture of um these very scared humans and how lonely and unprepared they'll actually be compared to what you guys are doing which you know wasn't preparing wasn't specifically preparing for disaster on that kind of scale but but which sets you up to be so much more prepared, doesn't it? In so many different ways. It does. That's right. Um, emotionally and physically, um, we basically are homesteading every day of our lives. That's that's how we live. Um, in that we utilise the produce that we grow on the farm, whether it be for um, food or medicine. Uh, we keep growing 
So we're growing um, all different species. Nearly every day we're planting something new, um, saving seeds. Um, we All the parts that go together to, to, to um, build that permaculture principled homesteading life. I mean, yes. it's, it's, that, it's that day-to-day living and that day-to-day practice of That's building resilience. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you actually you, you actually get reasonably good at it. And mm. and so um, you know, when you're talking about preparing or being pre- or being prepared or so prepping and being prepared, mm. um, yeah, we are always trying to be prepared because we're trying to be prepared for um, you know, a slower amount of produce um, that might come through winter. We're preparing for um, you know, soil enhancement, you know, everything everything's some form of preparation. And part of that too is also that community base. So as part of that too, you have that interaction uh, um, with your greater networks, you know, your your neighbourhood, your groups, you know, especially things like the permaculture groups and stuff, but also your local communities. And so what we've also found with what's going on right now is a lot of those groups that were sort of probably staying a little bit quiet on the side, still having interaction, still networking, but all of a sudden they've come to the forefront. So, so when you think about that preparation in the background, even as groups and, and, and community networks, they've been prepping or being prepared, sorry. Um, they've been getting prepared without probably even thinking about it. It's just, you know, whenever you have that community relationship, you're you're preparing for something where you may be able to utilise something that comes from China or something that comes from Queensland. You've got to utilise something that comes from your local community and that's yeah, that's like we've been doing a lot of bartering yeah been lots of bartering and and in a way it's been a bonus that people have been at home so much because um people are learning new skills people are um utilizing the produce and the animals on their mm. own farms um and where there's been a lot of bartering system it's it's been sad that we haven't been able to see as many people of course sad for everybody um but you know, with social media now, it's it's so easy to connect, which is really good. But yeah. um, we're definitely yeah, connected. We we yeah, do miss that person, person because his farm is usually so mm. lively with people, students, visitors, friends, family. Um, but um, we've we've found it's um, been a good opportunity for us to 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 get educated um, through like documentaries, like what you guys are producing. Um, eye-opening, non-stop listen, research, listening. non-stop reading, yes, and non-stop um, watching. It's been a time to slow down and do a little bit of that as well, a bit mm. more intellectual learning rather than just the, the daily, well, it's not a grind of, of farming and homesteading, but stopping and learning new skills ourselves. And also um, we've, we've taught ourselves in a sense to um, teach others through social media, like through Zoom type. Um, yeah, I've learned a thing or two. Yeah. <laughs> I knew nothing about Zoom before this. <laughs> um, and thank God we've got a 23-year-old living, 24-year-old living at home at the moment because he's been able to assist us with a bit of that. Talking about that research and that ability to, um, you know... Upskill. Upskill, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, you know, knowledge is gold. I mean, that yeah. at the moment, now's the time. If anybody's ever thinking about what they should be doing right now, it should be just upskilling at a flat-out rate. You know, if whatever vision you have, to get to utilise that vision, you, you, you've got to build your knowledge base yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, and also we've been trying to reflect that onto the children, especially with our 13-year-old daughter. We're doing, I'm doing a lot more cooking with her and teaching her some herbal medicine and spending a lot more time out getting, um, just getting in touch with plants and, and spending more time with the animals. And um, so it's been a learning curve for, for all of us. And um, something we can all learn from this period of COVID is that um, life is unpredictable. And if we can just be a little bit more prepared for the future, even if it's just preparing for your own family and um, very importantly, prepare, prepare for your own health as mm. well. Um, we, we don't know if there's even, I don't know, I want to get too, too political on it, but if there is going to be a vaccine or a vaccine that is um, efficient, so we need to look at um, not so much Band-Aid treatments, but for some of us who can is to build up our resilience health-wise. and. Um, Look at what nature's got to offer. Look at what um, um, research has got to offer, and um, try and build up your immune systems rather than panicking about, you know, when are we going to have this vaccine or a cure all? Be wonderful to see um, 
more focus on the the kind of um, I guess the kind of alternative health um, approaches that you've probably I think because this whole journey for you guys started I think Nikki with your um, health challenges a few years ago and that's something that really interests me because I've uh, probably taken a similar journey um, and that's what's brought me onto my tra- onto this track for me as well and it, I feel yeah I feel really passionate about this opportunity this window that's opened up to look at how we build our um, our immune systems and how we build our, our resilience to this kind of thing rather than focusing on a vaccine which you know great if that um if that creates some sort of um temporary solution but what we need is is not the band-aid like you say so it is it's it's like you guys are in um kind of in the in the space that in an ideal world, I think most of us would, all of us would be in really, of um, of being more resilient in our health, of being more resilient in our food supply, of being more resilient within our community. Like it's a really beautiful thing that you guys have set up. Yeah, Thank thanks you. guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Look, um, you know, when you think about where we've got to now, um, you know, and I've, I've mentioned it before and we always talk about it through our education programs and stuff, it, it, it all comes back to that, very first awakening, that very first awareness you have. Now, for us, you know, obviously, and I'll, you know, Nikki could could tell that story, but for for me, it was when I saw, saw my wife being, you know, having an illness. You know, my awakening that those seventeen, eighteen years ago was like a situation where I'm I'm feeling quite helpless at that point in time, and I'm thinking, what can I do to change? You know, like I, I was. I was a carpenter, I was surfing, you know, I was just doing the, the you know, I was a father, I was doing the, the, the normal, normal thing. And um, and it just, you know, I was always always looking to always um, have a nice home and all that kind of thing. I did that. As a carpenter, I did that. But I realised that that was a little bit superficial. And and so with Nikki's health, um, I knew that we had to go much further. So, you know, when I made those little steps and we had that beautiful little urban garden, and it was... It, it, functioned and it was really really good um that that was that just sparked and absolutely sparked that that not so much even a passion for me but it sparked the realization that you could change and you could you could you could actually make change rather quickly and And nutrition was the medicine yeah yeah. so it was it was about the food originally it was about the food so yeah well it was i was undiagnosed for so long and had so many ailments for so long um, that um, it it became very apparent that the more uptake and and assimilation of highly nutrient foods, the better I became. And obviously stress, less stress um, when you're not well is is also a good thing. But, um, you know, I was diagnosed with a few immune disorders and at one stage I'd been overseas and I'd contracted some third world parasites. Um, so all of that um, was, um, well, some of it was diagnosed and some of it was still, you know, doctors, yeah, so many people say, they say, I have no idea how we can help you. Um, so we had to take health back into our own hands and, um we realised that uh, with me and with so many people out there that until you start living cleanly, um, is in clean organic food and nutrient soil, um, yeah. the way you eat, not too much food, the times you eat at the day, the exercise you get. Um, um, I've, been, I've been truly blessed that, you know, I've got a husband that I've got that is, is so passionate about my health and and um, looking after myself and family and also that he's such a good gardener as well and, and far, farmer and, and, and teacher now. So, so it's um, I'm in a very um, fortunate position, but there's so many people out there that aren't. So my whole aim with, with being on the farm, well, one of my aims is, is to learn as much as I can and um, through my experiences and try and help so many people. You know, when you think about the initial pathways, you know, I just mentioned how that was the kickoff for me, Nikki's illness, but I'm just thinking about um, our initial um, start on, on the journey. Um, that time when we were, when, when I was, you know, you were being ill, you know, having this illness and, and I'm looking at, right, yep, we need to change the food, yep, I need to live differently, I need to create a better environment. But at the same time, you began researching 
like mad. Yeah. And you end up becoming more informed than the doctors that you're going to to ask for some kind of diagnosis. Yeah. So you actually, I, I remember that you even basically self-diagnosed and went and told a doctor yeah. that you thought you had this. They went, oh, by the way, yeah, I think yeah. you do. You know, like. Which is exhausting because you look on the internet and there's so much mm. dire information. You know, you look up a couple of the ailments you might have and symptoms and you go, oh, crikey, you know. This. Mm. <laughs> but, um you, I mean, the thing is you have to try and almost look at it as like, I oh, would need to go back to clean slate. Um, it'd be cool to hear about how the property's been going and what's happened or kind of like what's the weather been like since we were there filming because it was really dry. There were bushfires not too far away and it was really hazy. Yeah, well, look, you know, when you uh, came to the original filming, that was obviously right at the start of November there, end of October, early November, um, we still had a little bit of a green tinge. <laughs> so, a tinge. Yeah. So what happened was the drought escalated. Uh, it had been, it's been going for probably at that point in time, it had been going for about two and a bit years. It, it, it got to its worst point um, around about, uh, first and second week of January. So by December, it was really bad. By January, it was it was phenomenally bad to the extent that um, not only was everybody's tank water dried up, but even the anybody that had access to village water or or small town water was gone. It was stage four restrictions, and they were and 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 all the towns in the area they're all tanking water in. So um, you know, like you're, you're talking about when you again when you're thinking about an event happening that has a major impact um one of the biggest events you can have is no water like you know we we all can only live so long without water well plants are the same so it got to the stage where obviously it was illegal to even virtually have a tap in your hand like a hose in your hand so um you know if you had your own tank water and we were lucky we stretched ours out and I mean, when I say stretched out, we still ran out. Um, we are also connected to the village town water as well, and it was gone as well. So, you know, you can imagine that every possible um, redundancy we had to be ready for this still end up running out. So it, it became a lesson. Well, it became a bigger lesson than, than I originally thought. And so we went through that stage of absolutely no water, um, absolute evaporation now the part then that steps into play and this is leading to where we got to when the rain first coming back at, at the very end of february and well into march was that um the parts that 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 did really well and this is part of that permaculture um uh design process is understanding when you're thinking about water and you think about water harvesting you also think about water retention and water retention is trying to reduce evaporation so essentially you know by having those overhead trees and by having those windbreaks in place um, and whether it be structures, trees, landforms, whatever it might be, those things then reduce the evaporation. So whereas a, a farm near us that was in the same circumstance with lack of water and the same kind of uh, temperature and, and winds, um, they would be gone in no time. They were drying out within, within that week. We The resilience of our farm of our little farm here was the fact that um, it, it, it just kept holding and it just kept holding. So there was shade at the right time of the day and when the winds picked up and they were hot and dry, it was enough protection. So it was just just enough to keep things ticking over. So ground covers kept sort of holding in there. And look, things dried out and we lost a couple of plants and, and trees, of course, but um, in the big picture, uh, it was only a very, very small percentage. So we are. Th this is the, this is the one big event after the ten years on the farm. Th this May right now is, is our tenth birthday on, on uh, Limestone Farm, and we can now look back over those ten years and and say that this last summer um, was the telling factor for us to to your farm to be resilient from a climatic event. Yeah, and and that. That's gold. I mean, the, the data we've got now in the sense of just capturing via photo and aerial shots and, um, you know, making note. So one of the things we do is we take stacks of, you know, personalised photos where we keep a file of what happened this month and what happened in this event. So then this has now led, this, led us to the fact that we had this resilience leading right through um, 
uh, right through to the first rain, which was at the end of February. And then the rains slowly escalated. So the first rains were very light. We are getting three mil here and five mil there, but we were excited um, because it hadn't rained for months. And, and then it slowly got stronger and stronger. And March became fantastic. March was just like brilliant. You know, it was. And, and so we, had, we got that much rain that what we then saw, and again, we could compare to the land around us and other farms around us, was the bounce back, how quick, um, you know, that rain. So everybody goes, oh, it's rained. Of course you've gone green. Yeah, but we did that much faster. And, and also the different, some of those different forest layers that were in a lot of our gardens all came back at the same time. So it actually looked dense and more, and more growth, more biomass in a shorter period of time. So that bounce back was quicker as well. So our food production got jumped back up again. Because at one stage there, I mean, if we hadn't had that rain in March, we would have been struggling to even get pumpkins growing yeah. through to winter. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was pretty tough. Yeah. Not to forget the bushfires. Oh, uh, well, yeah. That was just an added bonus. <laughs> no. They got closer after you left, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. And we got more snakes too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, the fires got pretty close. So, yeah, after your film, um, it got the stage where Nikki and my daughter had to leave. Um, they were in, they were probably within about uh, 750 metres, maybe no more than a kilometre off the back. Yeah. Um, you know, we, obviously I wasn't going anywhere, but, you know, looking after family, we sort of had to say, well, okay, this could be a problem. But um, like all our most awesome volunteer firefighters, they just worked day and night oh. and they hammered it. You know, so, you know, thumbs up for those guys. Yeah, what uh, was seen all over Australia. Yeah, it was same, same. amazing. So we were lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, you know, obviously, again, though, saying that we, we, we try in part of the design too, um, we talk about, you know, utilising fire retardant trees, which won't necessarily stop a fire. You're just talking about slowing slowing fires down by reducing the amount of embers that come through so if you have you know you have a nice evergreen uh windbreaks and stuff like they can also take a bit of that ember movement that's coming through um you know we can't be fooled by the fact that they're gonna you know actually stop a fire raging through but you can definitely give you give yourself more time maybe to defend your property and we've got a bit of a protection zone around we have got a nice little buffer zone as well yeah so, yeah, look, essentially, I would say in summary that um, we came out of it really good. Um, we've got photographic evidence to prove that, um, which is what we – demonstration is authority, right? So, um, you know, we've, we, we now have that um, photographic evidence where we can say, okay, guys, we're not just telling you this is what it'll do. Have a look. This, this is what actually happens, and we've kept certain data about that. You know, we've even kept every bit of rainfall. We've got a calendar, so we use, you know, it's just something as simple as Google Calendar, and every time it rained, whether it be five millimetres, we'd note it on the calendar, just so we knew what, you know, what was happening through all those months. If we got three mil, it was noted down. If it got over 40 degrees, so anything over 40 degrees, we, that was, some people would say 35 is extreme, but 40 for us, over 40 is extreme. Um, so, you know, knowing that our property uh, takes on anything from minus four in winter to 49 degrees in summer so far in the last 10 years. So, yeah, we have some pretty decent extremes. <laughs> so it's a challenge, but it's good. So, so I'm interested to know whether over the um, over that experience, you came up with any th- changes that you might make and how you um, how you capture and conserve water. Yeah, look, always. So that you know, the, the the lessons are there for you. You've just got to be observant. So for us, I realised that we didn't have enough overhead trees. Number one. So, um, you know, Nikki and I. We're walking out constantly, checking the the farm, always looking for indi- indicators. You know where the soil was becoming bare, and 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 um, where certain plants were, the understory plants were being affected by you know this extreme weather. So we realised um, even with what we've got set up, that there's there's always going to be fine tuning. You know, knowing that it's an evolution, right? You, there is no such thing as a final design. It doesn't exist. It's not you're not building a house. So you're working with nature, but it's an, it's an evolving transitional um, set of patterns, basically. Yeah. And so one of those patterns was that wherever it dried out, we went, oh, we've got to shade that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or, or we have to cover that. It hasn't got enough ground cover. So, you know, yeah. so the things we learned was more about more protection, 
uh, being more um, prepared the next time, and, and, and absolutely we're going to get it. You need to be forever adapting in this yep. climate, in this world. It's mm. it's forever changing, so we have to keep adapting to um, hotter summers. Everything, everything adapt. You know, uh, we say it all the time. Um, you know, that adaption thing is is everything from your own health right through to mm. your land, your animals, your mm. family. Yeah. So, so, um, and you can only you can only really adapt if you take the time to observe. Note it, assess it, and 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 then um, you know analyze that information and and work out okay righto so I can you can turn that back on itself and or you know the the old permaculture adage the the problem is the solution half the time it is probably most of the time it is um, so you can you know turn that back in um, so the, you know when when we were hitting that drought um, one of the things that we had was that the trees about the evaporation and the windbreak. So we needed more of that. And we've started, we've already started doing that. And the other part was, um, we've needed some more water storage. So we got, some, we, we, we bought another tank, you know? So, um, you know, and again, uh, we're like most people, we, we can't go out and buy all the tanks we need all at once. So as you save your money up and afford to buy it, you know, we get a tank here and a couple of months later we get a tank there. So, but yeah, and look, to be honest, we're probably sitting around 70,000 litres at the moment for one acre, which is okay. Um, our goal is 100,000 litres. Um, that's what we want saved in tank form and then obviously water saved in the landscape's a whole different thing again. But yeah, so that's our, that's our aim and, and that's what we learnt from the drought. And how did the animals fare through all this? Oh well, look um, again with the with the small animal management, um, and as part of that design process, um, one of the things that um, we planned. So that's the preparation thing. Um, was that we chose the animals that would do well anyway in our temperatures. So um, you know we were a little bit more specific with the type of chickens we use. We're more specific with the type of ducks. Um, you know we've got certain certain goats also the stocking rates so you know what we did was once it hit the drought period like you'd normally see on a large-scale system how they reduce their stock we did that as well we reduced our stock um the difference is is that uh we you know don't reduce and sell off and then have to try and buy that all back again all we do is it's more a little bit like a harper you're you're coming in and out in and out and you're moving with those situations so you come into extreme summer you um you contract you're coming into beautiful rain and a a better environment maybe through autumn or whatever and you you can expand again a little bit but you're doing it with what the farm can produce so your animals are producing the bait and we've always got requests for um for purchasing our permaculture raised animals so it's it's never it's never a problem moving them to another farm and um and and they they handle the the heat pretty well but saying that you you need to take good care of them they need to be checked at least a few times a day um we give them a lot of um we make them a lot of big ice blocks um with um you know soups and stews (laughs) and fruits herbs and um you make soup ice blocks and um, a lot of people do yeah (laughs) it's it's quite common but um it's just keeping them cool and keeping them shaded um occasionally you know we'd um get get, um maybe put them into another area that might be a little bit cooler than one area or block one area off where they might some animals aren't as smart as the other ones and they'll go and sit in the sun in the very in the very hot but um yeah, it's um, it's just being mindful and keeping a really close eye on your animals so, and lots yeah. of hydration. So your animals um, have certain abilities, and that and that's where you look at. Um, and and sorry, guys, I'm going to go deep in some permaculture really quickly here. You've got the NFPC, so you've got the needs, functions, products, and characteristics. It's an assessment tool or an analytic tool that you use whenever you bring anything on into your homestead whether it be urban or rural. So, you know, if it's an animal, because it could be a plant, it could be could be human, whatever. Um, but if it's an animal, you'd get there and go, what does it need? What's its function? What's its what's its product? Because it might be giving you eggs or whatever. And what's its characteristic? Is it, you know, if you're thinking chicken, you know, what's a chicken going to need? You know, so you go through that assessment tool. It's quite quick. Yeah, it doesn't take long to do. But by doing that, you're giving the animal the best chance of living in your environment for starters, um, you know, so the animal you bring on the place is preferred to your local 
microclimate or climatic situation. So, um, you know, that's that's the initial thing. When you think about saying how do animals do, you, you're, you're really designing the right animals to come into your your homestead situation and then you then use the design of the property so then the shade trees and, and, and the things that are going to be doing the regulation of the temperature so you know the right kind of tree in the right spot will prevent hot winds or cold winds and they'll provide shade and even in winter on a frosty day they'll regulate the temperature so it doesn't get as cold in that particular area so and for food yeah and, 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 and obviously for food yeah yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's a it's a whole combination of things of why your animals might do well in that in those conditions, yeah. And at their happy as well, yeah, ethically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they looked happy, and I love that you've created you, you've tried to mimic the kind of natural environment that they would be in. You know, the chickens have so much to scratch around in; they're always they're pretty much always covered. There's, there's so much variety that they get to live in, which is you know what they. They've evolved to live in forest environments. So, um, you you said in um, in the latest film that you're su- sufficient, self sufficient for food for the goats, um, which I think is pretty amazing. really really awesome. I mean, that's got to be one of the the great goals, isn't it? To to not need to buy in food for your animals. Is that the case for the chickens as well and the ducks? The the goats are an absolute definite. They are one hundred percent off the farm. Right, that is an absolute definite. We've been working. The poultry is a different scenario. Um, the good thing about goats um, are they garbage guts, right? So basically, you can feed them all the prunings, and you know, there's just so much. Um, when, when you build so much diversity into your farm, that diversity goes back into their bellies as well. With the chickens and the ducks and stuff, we find that um, we're working towards you know we're transitioning towards a, a day when we will be 100 percent. where are we now we're probably sitting around about 75 percent fed from the farm um and we still have a supplementary 25 percent worth of pe- pellet coming into it you know um scratch mix stuff like that so and and, and some of those things that are helping to um, make up that 75 percent right now we've got a, a brilliant little setup in the poultry pens it's just after that rain it's just amazing i mean we've got th- nearly three and a half meter high corn we've got chia in there um we've got uh two different types of amaranth you know and you're talking high protein seed there so it's awesome for the birds plus they eat the leaves the greens all the different biomass uh then you so it's a little bit of a uh forest laid setup for the for those guys so at, at, at probably also answering that is that um depending on what time of the year would also depend on how well, you, what percentage of feed. Yeah. What extra feed we need to give, yeah. supplement feed, yeah. yeah. So when you turned up, Jordan, um, you know, we were probably coming, in, coming into a period where we had to do a little bit more supplementary feeding. Yeah. So if you're talking about what your absolute uh, down period would be um, with feeding those animals, you know, you, you may get down as far as, uh, on, on our farm, we may get down as far as 50-50. Um, so 50% supplementary, 50% off the farm. I mean, we've always got plenty to feed. I mean, there's always something definitely kicking in. Um, but on, and, we, and we can improve on that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're, yeah. we're working on I mean, that was a chronic drought and, you know, um, that really tests us out. So, so to know that we, we still were able to, you know, p- provide, um, you know, and then get to the stage where things come good again, and then you're, you're back up to easily 75%, then you're saying, right, well, there's my fluctuation. Can I get it to 100% during the good times and maybe 75% during the bad times? I mean, that's – I'd be super happy. Right. I'd be super happy with that. Mm. Super happy, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's still an amazing, amazingly high ratio yeah. of what you're getting on your farm mm. and only on an acre as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's been a, quite a few comments in the, in the video of – or on the video of people saying, is that really an acre? That can't be. There's just too much in there. People don't believe us when we put that in the description. It's like, no, that's not an acre. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's good design. Yeah, speaking of comments, maybe we should um, check out some of the YouTube comments and see what people are asking and see what you guys have to say about them. We've got a bunch of... We've got a few questions on uh, YouTube and then we've got some questions from Instagram. um, All the social media. All the social media. Or just those two. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see what people have asked. Um, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so the first the first question was actually one that um, I'd forgotten that this was in here, um, asking how you water the property, um, where it's coming from, um, how you harvest and store it, and also asking how much water and is used in an average day. Um, I don't know whether I mean you've pretty much covered this question, but mm. I don't know whether you want, want to add um, anything to it. I can tell you that the water for an average day, there is no average day. So, um, you know, you, you, you're working with so many different parameters. Uh, it depends on um, how, what um, time frame you're in with your successional growing, so with the annual crops. So there, there might be a time when you've got seedlings out and you use a bit more water. It may be coming into some dry times, you use a bit more water. Uh, you might have really wet times, you're using way, west, uh, way less water. Um, yeah, look at the, the average. The average scenario we could never probably give any kind of reasonable data that anybody could use. It's just it fluctuates. Um, it's more for, for us probably. It's more important to um, how much water we don't use. You know, so we only work on percentages. So if if we were use, if we've got seventy thousand liters sitting on the farm, and you know maybe in an average year you might use that or double or depending what the scenario is we sort of more looking about that if we've still got water through a dry period, so if this next summer comes and we've got now got up 70,000 litres worth of water and there happens to be at the end of summer uh, still, say, 15,000 left, well, then we go, yeah, okay, that's that's worthy of noting and we'll just put that down as that we had that much left in our tanks for that summer period. Um, but daily requirements, yeah, that would be a bit tough to answer so the next question is um is one of the key features of these permaculture setups the fact that you're set up on a hill or a slope permaculture uh, design can be replicated and scaled in pretty much any environment but when we're looking for an appropriate property like when we're um, assisting people with pre-purchase assessments um, we do try to look for some, uh, properties that have a little bit of slope in them. I mean, ideally, it's nice to have a bit of slope and a bit of level and a bit of slope and a bit of level, but who, who gets that luck all the time? So the idea of slope, it simply means that you've got um, free energy. You've got gravity feed, right? So um, slope means that you can control water flow a little bit easier. It means that if um, it means that if you're in a frost environment, frost moves like water, so frost will move, and you can control the frost. And so, you know, slope is is energy. It's free energy, and um, and also when you're thinking about um, our physical um, capacity and, and and abilities, slope means downhill it's easier, uphill it's harder. So you can design when you're doing uphill stuff that it's you're going to be carrying less with you. You're doing less work moving uphill. And the heavier stuff is working downhill. So, yeah, it's it's purely an energy basis. I mean, if you if you've got a flat block, don't worry. I mean, you can totally set your place up according to permaculture principles. Slope is just a little bonus. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about it like that before as as energy. Yeah, I love that. It's, free. Yeah. it's just free energy. That's awesome. Yeah, great way to think about it. Um, and this last person has asked. Okay, so back to the animal feed. Um, or to the animals, do you do they do you foresee any other types of animals and how you'll feed them? Do, so, are you planning on bringing on other kinds of animals in the future? Would love. You want it. some pigs? <laughs> love it. Love pigs. Um, space. At some point in time, you actually you do fill out every bit of space you have on your property, and to be again, if you did an NFPC that needs functions, products, characteristics, you would find your pigs would need a certain area and a certain lifestyle. Um, and I'm finding it hard to be able to give that to them on our property. But yeah, if I had the chance, I would love to even just you know um, sort of pygmy pigs or small pigs or something like Yeah, I'd love to down there. I, I mean, I love pigs as something to even play with. I think they're the most awesome creature. Um, but, yeah, that's one of the things. Yeah. What, what, what else would you like? Anything else? Mm. Um, no, I can't think of anything. I think I'm pretty happy with, um, you know, the turkeys were our, our latest love addition turkeys. and they're just gorgeous. Just love them, mm. the noises, and they're very friendly and they're, um, they've got crazy personalities. Um, but um, no, so we've got um, the chooks, the ducks, two types of ducks, quails, mm. um, a couple of goats, we've got the turkeys, and um, the two dogs now. We did have one dog, but we've uh, 
We've accumulated another dog with the sun. (laughs) So um, the sun work, our sun moving back home. But um, no, it's when we've got enough animal action going on around here at the moment to keep us busy. So we've thinned out our animals. You know, we've obviously contracted during this period this lockdown period. So we've, we've gone back to probably only about 60 animals on the farm at the moment. But in good times... And most of that are poultry. Yeah, yeah, yeah most of poultry, poultry. That's yeah. right. Um, and, oh, here's your pumpkin. <laughs> um, but in good times, uh, we, we will expand to sort of, you know, we get up to 120, 130 animals. So, um, again, though, it's, it's not how many you have. It's relevant to what you can sustain them with, you know, and have them have an ethically... Uh, an ethical life, sorry, where, you know, it's it's at least close enough to how they would potentially live in the wild or in their native um, ecosystem, yeah. And on the subject of animals, um, I, I remembered something that you guys were saying when I was there filming that um, with the drought getting worse further inland, you were seeing more bird life come to your place. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's um, not as prominent now, is it? No. Yeah, but I think also with um, the change in seasons. Yeah, um, but through but, the fires oh, and through the drought. Yeah. They were looking for food and water. It was quite sad, yeah. actually. You'd, you'd hear them calling down in the valley. And yeah, it that's was, right. Um, yeah. yeah, it was all, all these different breeds of birds and, and different types of animals and um um, a lot more snakes on the property. The, um, the wildlife corridors. desperate yeah. for, for food and water. Yeah, the wildlife corridors yeah. really opened up. Um, mm. You know, we, we do occasionally hear uh, foxes and, and dingoes and that coming through over the back, but that you could hear them in groups. They were, yeah. they were, they were, they were talking to each other, you know, um, as they're going through. And, and they were moving with the fire. The, yeah, they were, yeah, the yeah. fires were forcing. And so, yeah, we, we noticed that. Also, we noticed um, we had a few um, young uh, birds and bats dying on our property. So we'd, we'd come out, the, when I say dying, would they be dead? We'd come out in the morning and there'd be birds sitting under their, our mulberry trees, um, mm. you know, just young birds. And so they've made it to they're our property, exhausted. but they're just exhausted. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was, you know, and we, we leave all our big mulberry trees. I mean, basically our mulberry trees feed the birds. Um, we have the small ones we net, but the big ones we've got down the back, um, that's part of our giving back to nature. Our sacrificial trees. Yeah, yeah. they do. And, and, and so, you know, there was a mile. At one point there, it was pretty funny because I don't think we've ever seen so many different species of birds in the one tree at any one time. So, yeah, that was pretty wild. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it, was, it was something to, at the time, it was something to observe. Um, I'm sure that there was quite a bit of wildlife lost apart from just the mm-hmm. fires, but the, the, the domino effect of what the droughts and the fires caused, mm-hmm. you know, so they may not have been burnt, but they were just um, depleted from, of water and totally exhausted, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was um, It was lovely sad. to see, but it was sad to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a sad thing, but it's, it's also like, it must be pretty satisfying to know that this thing you've created is, you know, helping a small amount of wildlife. Like I imagine, you know, one day if we have our own kind of permaculture set up on a place to like be able to know that some of that is just for the rest of nature. Yeah, you've created a bit of an oasis in that area, haven't you, for, for the wildlife? and Yeah, they get a fair feed too, don't worry. I mean, you know, we've got trees here. Where it's not a case sometimes you hear people say, oh, I've given up on trying to grow this because the, the wildlife get it. You've got to, you take a step back and you re-look at what that is. Instead of saying you're giving up, you're saying to yourself, no, no, that's, that's what I'm going to give back, right? And, and, and it's easy enough to set up exclusion nettings and set up um, uh, certain areas where you can get what you need to get out of your property, but but you've got to have some setup where you're always going to have wildlife coming in. So you you, you may as well give them an area to, to come to. You may as well give them something to have. Um, and and that's again that's all part of that design process. So you're, again you're you're, you're analysing and you're understanding why that needs to happen according to where you live and the type of wildlife that's going to come in. So, yeah, I, I mean, we, we get a buzz out of it. And then let's not forget the benefits that you get back from that, you know, or, you know, the, the different, um, you know, it, it p- plays a part as in the uh, integrated pest management. So, you know, at the moment we've got an amazing array of frogs, amazing array of birds coming in. We've got finches and um, what's it, wrens? Wrens, yeah, blue wrens. That, that weren't here when we got here. They, they were not here. 
and, and they've now made home. They've now got proper nests and they're reusing nests in certain areas in the hedgerows. And so, you know, essentially you're building that ecology and part of that ecology is the fact that you're going to get visited. And they eat all your elderberries. <laughs> they eat your elderberries. And your lily pillies <laughs> and your mulberries. Yeah. Not all of it intentional. No, it's good. <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's so lovely just to um, be able to come out your back door and have a cup of tea in the morning and just watch, watch, watch nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we always That's wanted. Supposed to be, yeah. Hmm, cool. We'll take a couple of questions from Instagram now. Someone's asking, this is probably a question that you could speak for hours on, but any suggestions for inner city renters who want to grow more with limited space and sun? All right, I'll try and keep this reasonably brief. Um, so, most of, most people that have been following our story uh, would know that we originally had a, uh, an inner city um, permaculture setup called the Urban Squeeze. Um, so where we come from was a 330 square metre block with a house on it, which meant all we had was a courtyard and a little strip out the front of our um, and obviously a nature strip out the front of that. Um, so, yeah, we know where that's coming from. And one of the things I would suggest is everybody always talks about vertical gardening and, 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 and that is a big player in small space situations. But then... Just think about when you're saying vertical, what happens after you reach vertical? Well, you go aerial, right? So, so verticals, verticals thinking about trellis. But one of the things that we uh, did quite well back in our little suburb of Mayfield in Newcastle was that we were able to then send it from the trellis over into wherever it had to go. So it might be on wires, it might be moving across carport roofs, it might be going into the neighbour's property. But... But a, yeah, so, so the idea is, is you're trying to sneak um, every square centimetre of growing area and if you live in an apartment with just a veranda off the back, you're not just thinking trellis, you're also thinking what's going to go overhead. So aerial growing. Mines. Yeah, like you, you, you're thinking about what can you put over the top of you as well as the sides. Um, and I know that might sound fairly simplistic, but most people only ever talk about trellis growing and, 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 and vertical stuff. So get it going over your head. I mean, we had, if you're prepared to take the challenge, you can have pumpkins hanging over your head. Occasionally one will fall down and nearly hit you on the head, but, but they're, they're, they're perfect. You can get the right pumpkin to grow over the top of you that won't be too heavy, won't, won't sag down, isn't going to cause an injury. Um, so there's all different kinds of things you can have happening overhead. Um, we're used to seeing it on things like uh, uh, chocos and passion fruit and things like that, but there's much more. You can even um, train your tomato vines. You can train, um, you can train um, certain fruit trees to even come up and over the top of you, um, you know, creating an arch. The idea is just use every bit of space. Don't, everything is 3D. Use everything you possibly can and give yourself um, the smallest amount of movement, uh, moving space within that area. Because if you're in a tight area, you haven't got the luxury of, you know, being able to dance out wide or whatever. It's, you know, the idea is, is that you want a little area to get through. You want a nice little area to sit back and relax in it, but you're trying to get the absolute maximum. I mean, even have it trailing around your tables. Um, if anybody remembers uh, the photo that we put up, and I can easily show that one, uh, put that up again, was that we had a, a, we had a picnic table sitting in the back of this little courtyard and we'd ran out of space. All that was left was the picnic table. And so one day we're sitting there and Nikki and I are on either side of this picnic table and we're sort of looking at each other and we're going, what are we going to do? Where can we make some more space? And all of a sudden we're looking at the picnic table and within about three days the picnic table split in half. It's opened up. It's got a garden going through the centre. There's stuff coming up through the middle of it. And what was left was a strip of the picnic table with the, seat, with, with the bench seat in, in front of it, you know, and, and, and the same on the other side. So it ended up being like, two benches and a little thing. And then the space that was taken up by excess picnic table became another spot where it was all just garden in the centre of it. So think outside the square and, and go for goal. I mean, there's, there's, there's no limit to your imagination. And, and if you run out at home or in your apartment, you can um, obviously grow in burgers. You can grow in um, down yeah. your local community gardens. I mean, I don't know how much Gorilla that's... gardening, yes. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> as... Um, more people are out and about now and allowed out and about that, um, you know, hopefully um, we'll see more people out 
you know, with the community garden setups. And Take over the land, yeah. people. Take go, go as far and wide as you can. It's better to get a slap on the wrist and already have it there and be eating from it because you may yeah. not get the slap on the wrist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been about creeping into spaces that may not essentially be yours. Well, you may have a friend that's got some land. There's a yeah. lot of people that know other people with land and I know yeah. a lot of people. Farm open. share, garden yeah, share. Exactly, yeah. Backyard share. Yeah. Yep. And like you say, the only way that um, council's going to change regulations about where we can grow food um, is if we if we make, make that sneaking progress that, um, yeah, so, soon they're going to see that it really has to happen. We had the local council come down the back lane and they mm. would um, mow down the back and they would leave our sweet potatoes yep, alone. They would leave yeah, it, so if yep. you just speak to them, I mean, if you're yep. in close contact, um, you know, they want to see that sort of go thing yeah. going on. It's... Um, you just got to ensure that if you are growing somewhere, that council doesn't come and spray. Yeah. That's the main thing. Or whip a snip it up. But, mm. Yeah. We'll take one more question from Instagram. Uh, this person's asking, what are some things that, or what things they wish someone had taught them when you first started? What I wish I'd been told back in the day would probably be when I first started getting into permaculture. Um, when I first started getting into permaculture, um, there's probably a couple of things. One of the main things was that I was originally told that permaculture design was, um, well, I'd been advised permaculture design was a fixed thing. It was, you know, like you, 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 you made a design and there's your plan and you go with it, you run with that, that's your plan. Um, what I wish I'd been told back then, which took me a while to um, understand that and, and through learnings from other people, David Holgram and all that, um, was that um, it's it's a transitional and evolving thing. So if you and also um, probably taking a little step back from that again is that what permaculture is like for me. So again, when I first came to permaculture, um, one of the things that um, well, again, when I asked the question, what I got was it was a form of gardening and agriculture. And I go, okay, right. So you know, I was a I was a noob and. Um, you know, I essentially got there and I went, right, so permaculture is a type of gardening. So for the first couple of years, that, that was my, even with reading, I didn't quite grasp it straight away and, and, and it felt like that's what it was. It wasn't until I, I got a little bit deeper, um, got more involved with some of the uh, my peers um, and, 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 and had a good uh, mentor that I realised that permaculture was more the design umbrella of all the different techniques you're going to use, not just for gardening, but for daily life. So it was more like that um, uh, whole of life systems living, you know, like every every facet of your daily life, every facet of, of, of you getting up in the morning um, had some form of uh, permaculture principle um, that could be utilised in it. And so the design stuff as well was more the fact that it was, um, uh, that overriding understanding that um, the the design itself was the, um, the 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 blanket for everything else to come in under. So then after that, I started to realise that when they talked about oh, what's the difference between permaculture and organic gardening? Well, there is no difference. Permaculture uses the design process to then understand is that the type of technique you're going to use on your property. You know, so you, you can go through and you've got biodynamics, organics, you know, alley cropping, regenerative farming, syntropic farming. There's a mile of different techniques you can use, but you need to understand, is it the right one for your property? And you'll only find that out if you do the research and understand the design process. Um, you know, you can, you can take shortcuts for sure. But, you know, if you go through that process, you, you'll, you'll learn what that is. So if I, I know I've gone a long way around this too, guys, but if I'd understood this at the start... I reckon I could have made some leaps to where I am right now. So you've got to appreciate um, I've probably, I probably um, lost quite a few years in not really understanding how, how, what permaculture is and what, what the permaculture de design process was about. So I would say, yeah, if I could have had that a whole lot earlier, definitely. But I think you also have to live that to learn it. Yep, that's it. been a big part of it, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, to have it explained um, essentially as being an umbrella of design process and design science, then using techniques, even something as simple, I would have gone, oh, right, yeah. okay, it would have been so much yeah. easier, yeah. 
And I, th I think I think for me, um, it's probably um, if someone had said to me, um, "Don't overthink things and don't overcomplicate things in your life." Um, I think sometimes we try to. I don't know if the words achieve, we try to do too much in one day or um, try to um, fix too many problems in one day, whether it's mm. your own problems or other people's problems. Sometimes I think we need to just um, get a little bit more back to basics with, with everything and that's what we've learnt to do, haven't we, in a, in a sense. In a sense, I think that's what homesteading is too. It's... Um, it's it's the basics and it's working with all different aspects yeah. of good basics. We applied a bit of pressure on ourselves early. Didn't we, we did, yeah. yeah. Whereas, if, again, and again, this is the hindsight thing. As, as we've lived yeah. it, it's mm. it's um, become more apparent that, and even in this COVID-19 period, to so many people, you know, everyone's mm. become more, um, uh, um, more compassionate and more understanding of each other and the families and I mean I know there's a lot of sadness out there and it's and it's and it's been a horrible period but if we can take something really really um special from this it's that um we've be all become so aware aware of um community aware of um our need for each other and um our need for good living good health yeah I think you're right um that it's you can't. Yeah, there's a, there's got a, there's some sort of balance you need to find. You you need to live it in order to fully understand it. But at the same time, you, you I mean, I think with the workshops that you guys offer, you're now able to pass on that knowledge that you wish you had in the first place. Um. So so with that with all of that knowledge that um you've accrued over these years, what's your what what future plans have you got for the property? Oh, big question. Uh, <laughs> um, he, he never stops. Thinking, planning. I want my, you know, look, there's, there's always that physical challenge, right? So it's, it's that thing where um, we could stop right now, if, you, if you, you could even use the word stop, but we could stop right now and have pretty much everything we need for this property to be doing for us. But, you know, it's, there's that challenge thing too. And, and this happens especially when in, in permaculture, a lot of the permies talk about it. Um, whereas how can you get the most? I mean, seriously, how can you get the most out of your property? And it's not about trying to fill up all the space. It's about trying to get the most out of the, out of the dynamics of what you've designed and created. So, you know, it's one thing to see that you've set up, maybe set up some forest layer, um, forest garden systems, and you've got some nice, um, you know, reoccurring annual systems. And, you know, you've got these things, ticking over really nicely but it's another thing where you, you can't help it you're looking at it going what can I what what can I do better what can I make more of and and knowing that nature is also going to assist with your ecology plans right um it, it's going to do that but you, you know you can't help but want to achieve more and more and more so just simple things like um you, you have a garden system and then you, you've already built some infrastructure by by setting up the trees to do this, that, and the other. Um, but then you think, oh, right, right, what if I build a little stand in here and get a water tank that's sit already sitting in behind that tree there that's going to shade it in the west, you know, keep it cool in summer, and then that brings my water up up to another height again that then I can flow it back down, you know. I just went off camera, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but it can flow it, it, can flow it down uh, into the swell. So, um, you know, if you're talking about what, other projects we want to, there's so much more. In a way, I look at this property right now and, and only see it half done. Um, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but look, we, there's so much more to do with water. So water's a given, right? So there's so much more to do with water storage. There's so much to do with water direction and, 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 and movement. So, um, you know, you have tanks that overflow into tanks, but then you can have overflow into more tanks and then you can have them overflow into... Um, little biofert tanks that over that have a nice um a, a nice little overflow system where just as it rains you can you can put in some um vermicast liquid you can put in some seaweed emulsion some fish emulsion and after it's overflowed through all those other tanks and you've stored all that water it overflows into that little biofert distributor and it just then pumps that water out at a really gentle rate out through the land at an at a location that's far and wide from where you originally 
harvested the water from. So yeah, that's that. And that's this, just water. The, and that's just water. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. More fruit and nut. More perennial. More perennial. Always more perennial. Um, and more herbal. More yeah. more herbal. Yeah. yeah. And more edible flowers because you, yes. you never stop that. Yes. And, and um, more. We, we're always trying to create a better learning space for students because that is the main focus of the farm and our business is is, is education. (laughs) So we're always looking at ways to... um, to enhance their experience yeah, more here. demonstration. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. We are a bit limited with space now. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just utilising what we've got and just getting a little bit more clever mm. with limited funds, of course. So, And we, we, we try to, we, we do use recycled most of the time <laughs> and upcycled. And, um, yeah, so it's... Um, Oh, for, I think, you know, if some of the other projects that we're looking at too, if you're thinking about demonstration, um, would be projects that um, tie in with the integration of animals. So there's, you know, at the moment we're doing a little bit more down with our ducks. So the idea of integrating not just the, the, the ducks into the system, but to get the system get certain systems back from the ducks. So, you know, the um, silt traps, the ability for them to make more soil, so to uh, help us make more soil. And the way we look at it, because we enjoy it so much and want to do it because we, we love it, um, it, it ends up making that demonstration anyway that can be used to then pass and pass on to share. And so, um, you know, for, for me, it's, I, I hope it's a never-ending thing. I hope I, hope I can never, ever I think, um, say to anybody that I've stopped or I've ran out of projects or there's nothing else we can do on this property. I, this thing has just got to keep going. For me, for my sanity, it's got to keep going. <laughs> and that that'll be great for us if we could just keep coming back yeah, every, every four years. Year, yeah, four or five years. We'll, you know, in how many, in 20 years, we'll have a whole series. Someone left a comment on the video saying you guys should film a 12-part series with these people and do a do a film every month. There's so much in it. And I was like, could totally do that. You're yeah, welcome to come back monthly, truly. <laughs> We'll put the wood-fired oven on and, um, yeah, no problem. Even since you were last here, Jordan, and it was a shame Anthony that couldn't make it for the last mm-hmm. one, but um, even since you were last here, there's already multiple projects, some are rather large, um, that that have happened and, and either are done or partway through. Um, so already, like, you know, in that in that short time frame, and that's what, again, that's what we do. And, kid, look, just pointing out to the listeners too, um, one of the questions that I get all the time is they go, they, they, they feel a little bit overwhelmed when they come to our place. They go, oh, my God, how, how can we have this? And the short answer, the short answer is um, research, planning, and doing one project at a time. And like that project could be building a compost heap. You build it, project done, start using it. You build a little veggie garden bed, project two. You know, you plant a tree that's going to protect the chickens. That's a project. You know, just, it's just little steps. And, you know, when they look at what we've got here, um, it, you know, they've got a, you know, most people appreciate who've been here before would realize that, you know, it's only been the last two years that we've been working full time from the farm. Prior to that, we were obviously, you know, 50 hours a week, you know, doing the usual uh, work. Slog. Slog, yeah. So, a different type of slog. Yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, um, you know, the, the takeaway is that, um, Get your, get your planning done. That's stuff you can do at night. Get your research done. That's stuff you can do at night. And, and, and then find a project that you think you can knock over on the weekend or in an afternoon, you know, and, and, and do one, then do two, then do three, you know. And, and all of a sudden, you turn back and you look back after six months and you've, you've done five or six or eight projects and it, and it looks, it's, it's part of their, their stages of a bigger project. So, um, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be overwhelming. Just little things at a time. People try to think, oh, my God, I've got to get this whole thing done all at once. That's not how you treat it. And that's not what permaculture asks you to do. And don't know? be afraid to ask friends and family to come and help. Yeah. Um, if, if, you, if you promise a good feed, you, you'd be surprised how many people you can come turn up. Feed them and they will come. Although we, we do still have trouble <laughs> with um, 
taking people up on offers, don't we, for, for free help? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, but anyway. We're well, that, that's, more about, that's more about um, us, as, us as a demonstration farm trying to prove what Ma, Pa and the kids can yeah. do. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally, I mean, you know, we get five emails a day for uh, woofers and, and people wanting to help out. I mean, you know, we it, it's beautiful. And we, and we take some people up on their offer and stuff. But, but it's sad we have to knock a lot of them back. Yeah, too. but it's, that's driven by what we're trying to demonstrate. So we're trying to show that, yes, as, as a family group and, you know, um, any kind of family group, can can take that that can take that on and and um, do it without an army of helpers. Can accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, at least to an extent. Yeah. Yeah, I like that that advice of um, you. You have to celebrate kind of the small victories. Uh, it's kind of like, it's similar with any project, any mm. big thing you're working on. If you're just focused on the end goal, you kind of miss the journey, and you're always frustrated by it. And I guess like what you're saying, you know, permaculture asks you to observe and interact so if you're just focused on the end goal you're blind to everything else and you might be working towards some outdated vision because you've actually learned something along the way that changes that vision you know the evolving design that you speak about mm. yeah well you know it, it, it's one of the leading you know slow uh slow and and small solutions i mean it, it, it's it's there the, the guidance is there um sometimes people see those principles of permaculture and and, and it can just look like words sometimes, you know, like, you know, it's too easy to read something and go, oh, yeah, there's a list. But if you stop and actually appreciate what that actually means, small and slow solutions, it's actually helping you. It's going, guys, don't try to do this all at once. Don't try to do the big stuff. You know, if you have a big project, break it down into stages and do it when you can. And ideally, if you take your time, like all good projects, if you take your time, Somehow the old universe has a way of throwing things up at you that you can use. So if you rush in and do something, it's going to cost you money. If you take your time, you might have a friend that offers you something that can be upcycled, recycled. Um, you know, I, I always find that if you just let it project out, it's amazing the things that just end up in your lap. Thanks for listening to Episode 5 of the Happen Films Podcast. If you haven't seen our two films about Limestone Permaculture Farm, you can find them on our website. They give a detailed tour of the property and show how it's evolved over four years. And if you'd like to help us in making these podcasts, please visit happenfilms.com support. I'll see you next time for another inspiring conversation.